Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Today, I'll be talking with my friend Matt Mead about what we mean when we use the phrase biblical. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. Matt Matt is our uh, family life minister here at McDermott Road, and we have all kinds of great conversations all the time, and his office is just that, that direction. Um, and I, we don't do it enough on the podcast. It's been years since you've been on the podcast. So I actually get to listen to the podcast when it's recorded through my wall. So <laughs> through the wall. It, it, I get to get it live every week. So you it's are, great. You are audience member number one. Number one. That's Always. right. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're guest number one today. So um, let's talk about you. You brought something up this week. Uh, about the word biblical, we were talking about what we could discuss on the podcast, and you, you were talking about something with a kind of a bigger picture, and we'll get to that in a minute. But within that context, you you mentioned the word biblical, which stood out to me because it's something that kind of rubs me the wrong way when I hear people throw that phrase around, and we throw it around about all kinds of things. Um, but let's talk about why that can sort of be problematic when we use the word biblical. Yeah, I think it, you know, it's obviously, and I appreciate your audience, there's an aspiration here to be people of the text right. and to be, you know, well-versed in Scripture, but somehow, sometimes it can be a shorthand for really whatever we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I know I get to spend some time with teenagers, and a lot of times when we use the phrase biblical, we want you to be in biblical relationships, or we want you to... Uh, pursue biblical values. It can be a shorthand for whatever that person wants in that particular moment and and doesn't necessarily speak to the idea of it coinciding with maybe the full narrative of Scripture or with the idea that it's supposed to draw us closer to Jesus when we talk about anything that's biblical is hopefully pointing towards the kind of life that we're called to live instead of just a almost a you know, a sound bite that we're hoping for somebody to get. Yeah. I've, I've seen, as we were talking about this, it reminded me of the meme. Have you seen the meme of the, it says something about biblical marriage or biblical womanhood. That's what it is. Biblical womanhood. And it says something about, if we talk about biblical womanhood, then we need to talk about the tent peg to the skull. Mm. Uh, so, so, I mean, and I think that that highlights the fact that when we say biblical, to your point, you could sort of make that mean whatever you want it to mean. If you want it to mean that killing someone with a tent peg is biblical, well, if by biblical you mean someone in the text of Scripture does that, then sure. sure. But (laughs) if you mean should followers of Jesus do that, then no, that's not what, what we mean by biblical. And so... Yeah, I think that we apply that adjective to so many things. In your context, a lot of times it's relationships, dating, um, but it could also be, you know, biblical marriages, or it could be a biblical church, or it could be biblical whatever. And to your point, people use that to mean they're doing it the way that I think it should be done based on 
maybe a verse, maybe my tradition and how we've sort of proof texted what we've always done or, or whatever. Um, but what, what you, you mentioned even before we started recording, specifically as it pertains to dating, what do we typically mean when we say biblical relationship when we're talking about dating? Yeah, I think it, it's been my experience with teenagers that a lot of times when we say biblical, it just means shorthand for don't have sex before you get married. And while that is an important biblical concept, I hope that we can use Scripture because it's throughout Scripture to paint a picture of the vitality of what a relationship can be or, you know, to speak about biblical relationships in a way that that honors what God has created to be something beautiful. And Mm -hmm. sometimes biblical becomes just a, a shorthand for restrictions or something that we're hoping will add some force behind a practice that we're not wanting someone to, to do. And, you know, really, you know, if something's truly biblical, it, it points to the nature of God. It points to the nature of humanity and Mm -hmm. and it, it should resonate with us beyond just, Hey, don't do this particular thing. Yeah. You've already mentioned three things. You, You said it should point to the nature of God, the nature of humanity and should, I forget how you you used the phrase earlier, but the entire narrative of Scripture. And so I think you're exactly right. I think when we use the the word biblical, it should do those kinds of things. It should point to what does it mean to be a human being? What what does it mean to to worship Yahweh, the the God of the Bible, this specific God that we're talking about as Christians, the the God of the Bible as manifested in the person of Jesus and it specifically we've we've done a podcast recently on a cruciform hermeneutic mm. specifically i think that's the lens through which we we need to read but if we're going to say that something is biblical it shouldn't just mean there is a verse in the bible that talks about this because even if even if that is a true aspect of for instance if we're talking about biblical relationships pre pre-marriage dating relationship and you want to say it's biblical to not have sex before you're married well that's true that that is part of a biblical you know if you want to call it a biblical relationship that's true but there's so much more to it and so if we use biblical in a such a two-dimensional kind of a way that takes away the 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 beauty, the the more fullness of what that should be, and we just make it a restriction. If we say biblical just to mean here are the things you shouldn't do, you're leaving a lot of the Bible out of what you mean by biblical. And it's such a, you know, we sometimes think about teaching the Bible to our kids as like almost sounds like a burden or a responsibility, which it is a responsibility, but but we have this beautiful, you know, picture of the good life mm. and each component of, you know, the, our daily interactions fits within that. And so the idea that, you know, the Bible would somehow be a detriment sometimes to how we, you know, paint a picture of, I feel like teens should come away from learning about a biblical relationship and seeing how it, it makes their life better. Like you said, mm-hmm. unlocks the fullness of, of how we were created in the first place. And, uh, you know, it's just one example of biblical, but like you said, it, it, there's a, there's a cost of discipleship, but there's a major cost of non-discipleship too. Uh, that there are things that we just don't get when we, 
mm-hmm. don't live the way God intended us to. Yeah. And, and you, you said a burden of, of teaching that. And I think part of the burden is that, and this is why we all, whether we like to admit it or not, we all have a hermeneutic. And by hermeneutic, we just mean the lens through which we read scripture, because this is, this is a collection of 66 books <laughs> written thousands of years ago in, in different languages, in a different culture. And then somehow we're supposed to take these 66 books that, by the way, are made up of different genres of literature and take all of this and then create some sort of framework by which we're going to live our lives. And so it's really no surprise that that different people have emphasized different verses and say, well, I think this is what it means to be biblical. I think this is what it means to be biblical. And we're all just kind of shooting or throwing our verses back and forth at one another. You mentioned a phrase that I don't know that I've ever heard it put this way, but of a summary text. And I really like that idea. So what what does that mean and how does that help us to try to figure out what's, what's biblical or what should be considered biblical? So there's you know several instances in, in Scripture in which we're blessed to have, you know, overview scope of events retold to us. And mm-hmm. and that's a beneficial summary passage. I mean, I think one of the best ways to start teaching the Old Testament is by looking at something like Stephen's speech right before he is, you know, stoned because he gives us a Christological lens through mm-hmm. a lot of those events. But there are some passages, one in particular being the greatest command that actually puts itself out there as a summary text. You know, it tells us that, you know, this encapsulates the law and the prophets. They hang on on these things. And so to me, that should show it's kind of like a red flag to us that like this is helpful for us. Mm -hmm. This gives us a lens, almost a hermeneutic in and of itself, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a greatest command hermeneutic for how we do interpret the idea of a biblical life. And yeah. And, you know, the Genesis to Revelation gospel, Mm -hmm. you know, the bigger uh, picture for sure. Yeah, it's really a way of, I've heard the phrase used a lot my entire life, the idea that the Bible should interpret the Bible. Mm. And I mean, that kind of gets used in, in ways that I wouldn't agree with. But in that sense, in the sense in which you're talking it makes it's exactly right it, it's allowing the apostles it's allowing jesus to interpret the entirety of scripture and sort of sum everything up for us whereas if we don't allow them to do that then we end up doing that ourselves and so what we do is we we have this tendency nadab and abihu is a story that that always got thrown out to me to say, see, this is the kind of God that he is. And this Mm. is why you don't need to make any mistakes in how you worship, because if you make a mistake in how you worship, you might get struck dead. So, you know, these stories were used to summarize the God of the Old Testament or the God of the Bible, whereas Jesus didn't tell the story that way. Stephen didn't tell the story that way. This is a part of the story. And so you need to understand these these pictures here and there as you get this fuller picture of God and and what God did with his people. But the the things we emphasize need to be the things that Jesus emphasized or the things that the, the biblical authors emphasize as saying, this is the most important. This is the lens through which you need to read. This is, this is how Jesus would sum it all up. And so you brought up um, what Jesus says as far as the, the greatest command. Uh, I'll read that Matthew 22 verses 34 through 40. 
When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which, obviously, there's hundreds of <laughs> commandments in the law. And, and, and even that question is so important to, to say, well, how would, how would we answer that question? What do we think is the most important commandment in the law? Would we think it, it's a commandment about sexuality? Would we think it's a commandment mm. about how we worship? Would we think it's a commandment about whatever? And Jesus said, this is, this is the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And, and those exact wordings are are found in the Old Testament, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. But he takes those two verses and and he says in, in Mark's account that this summarizes or here the the whole law and the prophets depend on on these verses. So well, and even taking a step back to you know our original introduction about biblical, I think for some folks, and and maybe all of us at one time heard things like this, we would maybe even balk at the concept of somebody saying a commandment is greater than another. Mm. Or this idea, we almost have this flatline reading of scripture that everything's of equal value. And and Jesus kind of turns that on his head here in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and he's speaking to people who know <laughs> the yeah. scripture really well. And so that idea of allowing him to be the one who illuminates what is the greatest for us is super helpful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly right. And, and Jesus would say when he was talking about the fact that they were straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel, that they they were ignoring the weightier matters of the law. And that's not to say that the the things like tithing the mint and the garden herbs should be ignored. Jesus doesn't say this doesn't matter, but he says there are things that are more important than others. Primarily what he says here about loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So how would that work as I know you've recently taught a class on this, how, how would that work if we were to like take that really seriously and think this is this is the framework, this is the lens, this is what Jesus, when Jesus had the opportunity to summarize the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets, and and summarize it all, and this is what he comes up with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, if we were to take that seriously and sort of build a framework for ourselves and say, this is what it means to be biblical or to live biblically, what, what might that look like? The, the core of it is, is asking ourselves things about when he says that we're called to love him with, with all of ourselves. I think sometimes we have to pause and say, well, why did, you know, God outline those certain pieces of us? Is he actually differentiating between those pieces or is he just really pointing to the fact that, Hey, I want all of you. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you can't compartmentalize me. You can't Mm -hmm. put me in certain parts of your life. No, I want your heart, your mind, your soul, your being, I want it all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with that frame of knowing that if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to actually 
love God, it's got to be a holistic endeavor. I mean, that that has to be the starting point. Mm -hmm. And it's really pretty amazing. You know, I I often will see things that, you know, are are written in secular literature or other things that, you know, just get so close to some of these concepts. You Mm -hmm. know, they're like, oh, it's important to see yourself well, or it's important to, you know, have good self-esteem or different things. But when you skip that first step that, our whole understanding of self has to come after, mm-hmm. you know, our understanding of who we are in light of God and our relationship with that. Well, then it allows us to love our neighbor as ourself. Mm-hmm. But when we skip that step, when we skip that important reality that that is the love story of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? You know, that God is chasing after us and he wants all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's a part of the idea of biblical is holistic. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's deeper than probably we could ever really put words around it. Mm-hmm. It um, it's really beautiful when you think about it. Yeah, that's so good. And and I I was thinking about the difference between a a proof text and a summary text, mm. and and this you know this idea of loving God, Jesus saying this is this is the summary text or these are the these are the summary texts to love the Lord your God. And like you said, if if that is your summary, then there's a way to flesh that out. And the way you flesh that out is you go and you read, who is this God that mm-hmm. I'm supposed to love with my whole self? Uh, but in even, even that idea of a summary text, I think that it lends itself to, to meditation. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like you were already doing that, that idea of who who am I and and how do I love God and do I compartmentalize my love for God and is my love for God just a mental pursuit where I, I'm I'm just pursuing him with my mind but I haven't surrendered to him my strength my my soul my being um, have I compartmentalized my love for God to just the things that I do but my mind doesn't belong to him you know and so meditating on those things and then even like taking that into our family, um, the Shema, which is where this comes from. And Shema is the Hebrew word for, for hear or listen. It was the first Hebrew word I taught to my kids, um, because it, it means not just listen, but like pay attention and do what this says Hear, Listen, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one and Jewish families will repeat this every day. And so my family repeats the greatest command love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we do this every night before we say prayers. And part of it is, (laughs) and part of the challenge is to not just get the kids to say it from rote memorization, but for us to stop every now and then to say, okay, what what does that mean? And and how how did you live that out or fail to live that out today in your life? I think that any thoughts on on how that kind of having these two handles on things can help us like deal with really real issues that come up in life. Yeah. Like, like you're getting at the, the whole point of, of, you know, making that a part of our rhythm is cause it's on the road. You know, it, it's when you mm. go, it's when you Deuteronomy six. like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so connected to the idea that this is a lifestyle mm. and, and Luke, you know, he, he immediately, after teaching this concept, tells the story of the Good Samaritan, mm. right? You know, he says, this is real life stuff. And, you know, I hate to break it to you, the religious folks in that story, you know, in that parable, you know, there's a disconnection between, 
their daily life and the opportunity that presented itself for loving God mm-hmm. in the form of loving this Samaritan who, who really needed some help. And, mm-hmm. and when we do that self-analysis, you know, the hearing, the paying attention, the being aware, like that's the beginning to notice the Samaritans in our lives in the first place, the, the opportunities to, to help somebody, to love somebody. I, I think that's just, it's really core to the idea of discipleship. And, you know, you were talking about the compartmentalization. I'll, I'll tell a personal story. I, I had this, you know, really brought home when I was in premarital counseling, I had filled out one of those things that a lot of people fill out. And I guess I was, I was pretty hard on myself and some of the self-assessment or whatever. And, and the guy we were doing premarital counseling with looked at me and said, I think you believe in love and grace with your mind, but you don't believe it with your heart. Mm. And, and that was really the first time that, you know, I really started reading this text a different way from a, you know, this is not just a, a principle. This is a, this is a transformative, you know, reality that God calls us to. And so, you know, however we can make it all of us so we are equipped to to be Christians in our daily practice like I think that's the the real power behind the text itself yeah absolutely I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, we've been talking about the idea of having sort of summary texts like the like the greatest command and how the summary text helps us to determine what we mean by biblical or what we should mean by biblical. And as you were describing that and sort of how that works, it occurred to me that it works as sort of a lens in two different directions. One is a lens through which we study scripture. And as we study scripture, it works as a hermeneutical lens so that we can say what's really important here or how does this story illustrate how a person is loving the Lord their God or they're not loving the Lord their God or they are loving their neighbor or they're not loving their neighbor so that we say is this something I should follow or is this something I should imitate but it also works as a lens through which we look at our own life and we examine ourselves and and really meditate on those things so maybe my question would be what practical ways does it does it work or maybe even with teenagers especially uh, but in every area of our life what ways have you seen these kinds of summary texts work as a really practical help for being a better bible student or just being a better follower of jesus i think you already mentioned one in regard to the end of the day reflection Mm. i think that's really important Um, some version of that 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 really allows a time to slow down and, and, and think about, you know, the critical things that happen during the day. I think that's so important. Uh, but the second is, I mean, whether this is designed to be an anthropological guide or not, at minimum, it does speak to the reality that does occur in every relationship. I mean, we have 
uh, all our relationships cross each one of those things, heart, mind, soul, strength, physical being. And, you know, I think kids need to learn, you know, how to recognize those things. Like from afar, you can often see like, man, that teen is in an unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. by the way that, you know, he treats her emotionally or whatever. But unless you've ever been given the language and the categories to talk through, like, why do I feel this way in this situation? Or, you know, just because I connect with uh, a person, you know, mentally and, you know, we are able to have deep conversations doesn't mean that we connect emotionally or, or whatever. Just giving frames for connection, I think, is really important interpersonally. And, you know, we could talk at length about how, you know, this generation is having to learn how to do relationships in the context of tech, in the context of isolation. And so, you know, when we think about the idea of biblical relationships, uh, I think it has to be grounded in a biblical understanding of the human person. And I think this can be kind of a shorthand for that. Yeah. And and what a, what a more robust lens through which to ask good questions rather than just, am I sinning or am I doing? And, and, and when I did youth ministry, that was always the question. The, the question was always, if, if they asked any question about dating, the question was, how far is too far? You know, what can I do sexually and, and not step over the line? And that was, that was the only question they were asking rather than what does it look like to be in a healthy friendship with somebody, much less a, a, a healthy romantic relationship? What, what does it look like to start preparing for marriage? What does it look like to, to do this in a biblically healthy way? And like you said, even this text itself, even as we reflect on our relationship with God, loving God with all of these different aspects, that that implies that you have those aspects to yourself. And I think that you're exactly right, that that those aspects play themselves out in every relationship that we have. That's the way I, I like to think about things like heart, mind, soul, and strength. Rather than parts of us, it's like aspects. And the way I, I tend to talk about that is like you are a thinking being, mm-hmm. but you're more than a thinking being. Mm-hmm. You're a feeling being, but you're more than a feeling being. You are a doing being, but you're more than just a doing being. So all of those things and sort of doing some self-examination and some self-reflection on those different areas, I can't help but think not only from a personal standpoint, as I reflect on myself and my relationships, how that could be a healthy and helpful framework for parents to work through with their kids and just, you know, check in with them, whether it's with a conversation or just watching. Like you said, sometimes you can see from afar what somebody is doing that isn't healthy, but you don't have a a framework or, you know, sort of a checklist to kind of go down. And if we're just asking are they living biblically? Like, what does that mean? There's 66 books to try to sort through to say, what do you mean by that? But that if we mean something like this, are they, are they doing these things? It could be really helpful. And it can get real practical fast from the standpoint of, and this is easier maybe to do in a, a classroom setting than a, than a family setting. But I think you could do it in a family setting as well as, is, is list those four. And granted, we're not trying to emphasize their disconnection, uh, but put something like over the top and say, okay, you're dating and you're on your first date. You know, what level of 
emotional connection do you think you should have? Mm-hmm. What level? And, you know, and, and then, you know, talk through this idea of, you know, oftentimes where relationships fall apart is one of those things gets out way in front of the others, mm-hmm. right? And and then you've got an unhealthy relationship and, and it's all grounded in the idea that the only thing that can fulfill us is God, mm-hmm. right? That's the only thing we can truly love with all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when thinking about even the relationship I have with my wife, like she's not going to fulfill all my needs, mm-hmm. right? And she wasn't designed to. God was designed to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even having that framework to think about like our own health when it comes to those things, it can even apply to self-love, right? Am I able to love others? Well, I haven't been treating myself well at all physically. Maybe I'm not in a good place to extend love to others or I'm you know, being very hard on myself or et cetera, et cetera. I just think having some frames to begin those conversations with is important for parents. Yeah. And it's almost like, don't you think it's almost like, and you, you even began with this sort of idea that when we orient ourselves toward God first, when that's our first thing that we're checking and making sure that that is what it ought to be, and we're looking at all of those aspects of ourselves Am I, in the way that I'm thinking, am I devoted to God? In the way that I'm feeling, am I devoted to God? In the way that I'm I'm striving and what I'm doing, am I devoted to God? Am I devoted to God in my resources? Are all of these things devoted to Him? Then when that is at its peak, and obviously none of us are at, at the peak, <laughs> Jesus is at the peak and, and the rest of us are, are trying to get there. But when, when, in, when those areas of our life are full, then we're able to love people emotionally and mentally mm. and even physically with our resources from the abundance, from the overflow in all of those areas. But when we're not oriented to God in some aspect of our life, then we're trying to, like you said, use those people rather than loving them out of the overflow. Mm. We're using them to try to fill up some emptiness in ourselves. And I think that that's what I, when I counsel with couples, I mean, so often, I, I remember one time distinctly this having this conversation with a, a man who was about to get married to this this girl, and and I asked him, what do you think your job as a husband is going to be? And he said, to make her happy. Mm. And, and I just, he just said it like, well, like he knew that was the answer I wanted him to give me. And I was like, man, that is so wrong. You are never going to make her happy. That's not your job. Your job is to be to her what you're supposed to be. You don't control her emotions and likewise the other way around. But so often we go into relationships and we're not loving God with all of these aspects of ourselves. And so we're we're trying to fulfill something that's that's missing or broken in us. And then to this bigger picture of the biblical, as long as we're not sinning sexually, we think it's a biblical relationship. But again, this gives us a much more robust way to, to think about it. And like you said, it, it it's so influenced by culture, right? Mm. That's probably what that person's heard a million sure. times. Yep. And and that's so true with teens is if we never talk about an alternative, their baseline is going to be what culture tells mm. them. Yeah. And and that's not meant to, to be scary. It's just meant to recognize the fact that everything is formative. Mm-hmm. And if we do lean into the Bible as you know, the, something bigger than just text. We throw at things. It really can shape us, mm-hmm. and it really can, 
you know, change our whole perspective on what's the purpose of a relationship? I mean, that's a pretty fundamental question. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially a, a marriage relationship. I mean, if you're starting with the wrong assumptions, you're probably not going to have the healthy experience you were designed to have. And so, you know, hopefully that session lent itself to some good conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's really important as we're growing up to, to know that, you know, our fullness and our abundant life and, and, you know, true fulfillment can only come from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, that's so rich. And, and I, I hope that families will, well, and not just fan. I don't mean families in the in the in the sense of you know parents and and kids, but it could be any any size of household. You know, maybe it's just one person, a single person in that family. But I, I hope that that households will stop and you know again maybe a retired couple and and as a couple sit down and talk through. You could spend the rest of your life talking through these two commandments mm. on which hang the entirety of scripture and, and looking at your relationship with God, your relationship to yourself and your relationship with everyone else in your life and, and asking where there's deficiencies and what needs to, what needs to be changed. You, you, you mentioned Luke's account and in Luke's account with the great, with the, uh, the good Samaritan, that whole story is told in, in response to someone who is trying to justify mm. himself by asking who is my neighbor. And, and again, this really builds this, this way of looking at ourselves and at our neighbors and at God in a way that dissuades us from proof texting and say, well, I love my neighbor so long as you narrowly define neighbor mm -hmm. as someone who looks like me and talks like me and acts like me. And Jesus, again, when we use the entirety of scripture to say, what does this mean? What does this look like? Then we have this fleshed out version of, and really Jesus being the pinnacle of that and the cross being the pinnacle of this is what it looks like to love God with everything you are. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we try our best to live that out in every relationship. And I don't want to, you know, extrapolate too far, but, you know, with that story, you know, the Samaritan even recognizes he had a role to play. I mean, the, the man who helps the Samaritan, but he takes him to the innkeeper to fulfill a different role. Like we don't have to fulfill all of these things for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like that's really unhealthy too. Like, I mean, I shouldn't be as emotionally open with you as I am with my spouse. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even within that, like we're called to love fully. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also, we have unique relationships that, you know, we can only do so much in certain situations. And so even within that, it might be a helpful tool for, for discernment. Mm -hmm. Well, that reminds me of, of another summary text because there's there's several of these in, in the New Testament, one of which is in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's Matthew 7, 12. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Mm. And so that that we call the golden rule, Jesus uses as another one of those summary texts, do to other people what you would have them to do to you. And, and I think that that's helpful in sort of creating some nuance to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Because it's to say how would i how would i want my 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 wife to to love me and treat me then i need to treat her that way now 
how would I want a stranger on the street to treat me? That's a different question. And, and so my answer to that will be based on my relationship to that person. And so we, we have to look at all of those situations and say, based on, on this, how would I want to be treated in this type of situation? How mm. would I want someone to treat me if I were in their shoes? And so again, Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. Mm. I mean, again, if we, we, we read the Bible through a text like that, and then we read ourself and our situation and our circumstance through a text like that, it really helps us to, to start asking the right questions and start trying to come up with the right answers. I think that's such a helpful example because even, you know, from a practicality standpoint, like, I mean, the law is, is so nuanced in many ways, right? You know, it it speaks to certain situations and maybe that's why there are so many of them is because there's not always a, you know, a, a way to handle every situation that you're in from just one particular principle. And so I think the contextualization that, that that summary text that you just read provides is so helpful because we don't know what we're going to encounter when we walk along the road tomorrow. <laughs> you know, we don't know what, encounters we're going to be in. But like you said, we, we know how we would want to be treated in that particular situation. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? That so often when we say biblical, what we mean is we're following the rules. Mm. Well, what's the rule for helping this person in this kind of a situation? Well, there's not a specific rule. And this is where we get into my favorite word, and that's wisdom. Mm. Like, And it's one we don't talk enough about, especially as it pertains to, well, as it pertains to any area of life, but, but with training young people, what we want them to be isn't just rule followers. Mm. We want them to be wise. We want them to understand how do you operate in a situation like this? Solomon is praised for his wisdom, not because there was some rule in the law that said, okay, when there's a, a two women fighting over a baby, here's what you do in that situation. There was no rule like that. He he acted wisely in that situation, understanding the the different aspects of the relationships of these ladies to the baby that had died and to the baby that was alive. And he acted with wisdom. That's what we want people to do, not threaten to chop babies <laughs> in half necessarily, but, uh, but we, we want people to act in a, we want to act in wise ways. And these sorts of summary texts, love your neighbor as yourself, do to other people what you want them to do to you. These create the the boundaries of what it looks like what the rules are in any given situation i, mm. I don't know what what are the rules for how you how you operate on social media like there was no social media so what what are the biblical rules for following for for doing social media for interacting on social media here's what it is it's due to other people the exact same thing that you would want them to do to you in that situation yeah, and I think for parents, that should be such an encouragement because so many things are changing. I mean, we're the, mm -hmm. it's parenting in a new generation when it comes to the social media stuff. I mean, even if we say we want to look at biblical relationships, I mean, even a lot of the relationships in scripture, they're encouraging because they're messed up, but <laughs> there's not like a, a lot of, you know, families or even mm -hmm. dating situations you can go, hey, Look at this one and mm -hmm. emulate this. You know, yeah. it's all about that wisdom that you talked about. And it really, even those messed up relationships help create 
wisdom. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you learn through <laughs> others. I mean, it's a silly example, but you know, but if there's if there's a guy and he he's he's trying to carry on, you know, a dating relationship with multiple girls. I mean, just look at the stories in the Old Testament of what what happens when you try to, you know, have multiple relationships that you're juggling at the same time. I, I mean, obviously, I, I think I think that those types of stories are in Scripture to help teach people in a in a in a, in a culture where having multiple wives was a common thing, mm. these stories teach them this isn't wise. It wasn't like there was a rule against polygamy, but there there were plenty of accounts that said polygamy is not a wise way to live your life. Mm. One man, one woman, that's the wise way to live your life. And and the question for all of us is Am I so committed to God? Am I so committed to Jesus that I will act wisely even when there isn't a specific rule that says I must do this or I cannot do that? We've talked a lot in, in our culture about the quote-unquote Billy Graham rule mm. that, that said, Billy Graham said he wouldn't be alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. He wouldn't go to a meal with her. He you know wouldn't spend any time one-on-one with a woman who wasn't his wife. Now, of course, there's no Billy Graham rule in the Bible, but could we say, what are wise ways to interact with someone of the opposite sex? What are wise ways to handle myself in this situation, understanding where this might lead, understanding what my temptations are or what what the perceptions might be, and asking those really good questions— the answers you come up with might be a little bit different than the ones I come up with, but hopefully we're all operating with these as our guardrails and our boundaries. And to that, I mean, you know, it, it's, I think it's super interesting that, you know, even Proverbs, the way it's framed is in a relationship context, mm. you know, it's lady wisdom or dame folly. Mm. And that doesn't mean it's talking about that kind of relationships, but it means like the choices that you make, speak to, you know, they have overarching impacts for everything. And like you said, we have to be mindful of, you know, how would we apply things to each situation? And Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't want to comment on the specifics of Billy Graham's rule, but it'd be interesting to think of if they were to name a rule after me, (laughs) what wise practice would they come up with? You know, I don't know. I I mean, mine would probably be you shouldn't, you know, should stop after two chili dogs instead of the third. I don't know. That might be the 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 rule that that might get named after me. But I, the I don't. Matt Mead rule. Yeah, that might be the Matt Mead rule. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting to think about for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that I, I, I let me read another couple of of uh, sort of uh, summary texts and 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 see how similar they are to what Jesus has already said. Galatians five fourteen. Paul says, and again, he's talking to people that are trying to either force or be forced to follow the law of Moses. And he would say things like Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the next chapter, Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mm. Every time there is one of these summary texts, Micah, you know, six, eight, it's, it's do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. These are summary texts. And when you see these types of summary texts, they're very, very similar. Fear God, keep his commandments. Mm. It's, it's about loving God, 
and loving other people. Now, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Well, I think that sometimes people want to do things and live in such a way that is obviously not in harmony with the overall story of scripture, with mm. the rules that are there and do exist and say, well, all that matters is that I love God and I love my neighbor. And even though I'm living in this sexually immoral, you know, relationship or whatever, it doesn't matter because I'm loving God and loving neighbor. Mm. It's like, well, no, no, you don't get to define this love any way you want to. But at the same time that that it, it's sort of the whole, the whole body, the whole canon of scripture creates those fleshes out the guardrails and the boundaries and the rules within that, those boundaries and rules, there's all kinds of freedom. There's mm. all kinds of different circumstances and situations. And there's not a specific set of instructions for how do you handle this, this situation, except these. And it requires us to be wise to meditate, to ask questions, to challenge each other, to, to, again, I wish we had the types of relationships in the church, not dating relationships or even marriage relationships, but just friendships where we challenge each other on these kinds of things where somebody says, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is the decision I've made. And then help them work through that, help each other work through. Is that, is that loving God? Is that loving your neighbor? Is that what that looks like? And and I think that these kinds of things help us to to know when to admonish and how to admonish ourselves and other people. I was reading a book that mentioned uh, a practice that the Quakers employ, and I just found it very countercultural and interesting. It's called a clearness committee, and it's this idea that there are certain times in which you would sit in a room of people and you just ask them to come there to ask you questions. Mm. They wouldn't give you any advice. You know, you might say what was going on and then they would ask you questions for a certain amount of time. And, and like you said, I mean, what a gift to have people who are care enough about us to ask those fundamental questions about what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind, your soul, you know, how you doing? Like, I mean, what a gift. What a, I mean, that's where, you know, hopefully – the church is a place of friendship, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully we're able to have those people that, you know, don't need to tell you all the time what you should do, mm -hmm. but to create that space for you to, to really work things out on a level that is below the surface. And, mm -hmm. and I think that is a part of where having some, some just frames of thought for, for what it means to go below the surface of a, mm -hmm of a relationship is, is, is pretty helpful. Yeah. And, and as you said that it, it made me think that, that so often, and, and even in the way I've been describing this so often, we think about being biblical as a boundary. I, I tend to use the, the metaphors of a brake and a gas pedal a lot mm. in different contexts, but, but so often we think of the Bible as just our break, mm. as things we're not supposed to do, as these are the boundaries, these are the rules, don't go any further than this. But it's also a gas pedal. Mm. It's also what you ought to be doing. If we're loving God and loving our neighbor, then that's not just, it's not just rules to keep us from 
from doing bad things to our neighbor or doing bad things against God, sinning against God. It's also compelling us to do to do something. And like you said, to have people in our lives, not just that are checking up on us or asking questions when we're doing something that we ought not to be doing, but even even asking those types of questions when we're apathetic, when mm. we're, we're not doing what we ought to be doing. We, we're on church staff, we're, we're in ministry. And so we, we, we know the, the rule of 80-20, that, mm. that, or it's probably even worse than that sometimes, that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. The church needs to be the kind of an environment where we can ask each other, are you really loving the Lord with all yourself? Are you really fully committed? Are you loving your neighbor in the church and outside the church as yourself? And both sides of that percentage equation need to ask those questions. Yeah. Because sometimes it's the workers who have lost the real reason of doing it too. Yes, yes. And and that's why, you know, we all need to to be in those Mm -hmm. accountability relationships for sure. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you for this conversation. This has been rich. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.